if you don't have really good business acumen and start connecting the dots around why is it important, how is it going to help accelerate their business? And in order to do that, you really have to know the business. That merge, that finding that Venn diagram between the HR disciplines and the HR jargon sometimes and what the business leaders are talking about, that center of that Venn diagram is so important and is what I would consider my sweet spot. I'm Adam Connors from NetworkWise and your host of Who's Who in HR. Ask any successful CEO about the most important aspect of their company and they'll inevitably answer their people. And who is it that's responsible for their people? It's human resources. In fact, HR is the backbone of any elite organization. They attract, develop, and engage top talent, progress culture, secure and manage important benefit programs, make sure you're appropriately paid, protect the best interest of each employee and the company, and so much more that quite frankly often gets taken for granted. On Who's Who in HR, I'll have in-depth discussions with well-known human resource leaders who offer insights into who they are, how they got there, and the areas they support. During our conversation, these leaders will reveal beneficial industry advice and innovative trends in the HR space that's contributing to keeping the world's most successful companies at the top of their game. My guest in this episode is Mary Ellen McQuaid. She's the Corporate Vice President of Human Resources at Novo Nordisk. Leading the HR function at a company with more than 40,000 employees globally, there's no doubt Mary Ellen is one of those people at the top of her field. But where she's really unique is she has a lot of experience dealing with large mergers. HR is critical to the success of a merger, but it's something that not every HR professional has to deal with. So what's it like going through a merger and how does one keep their employees engaged through a big change like that? I'll let the expert answer those questions. So what do you say we dive right in to my conversation with Mary Ellen McQuaid. Mary Ellen McQuaid, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. All right. You sound good. You ready to do this? I am so ready. Yeah, you sound it. You're born ready. That's just your nature. <laughs> <laughs> For those that aren't familiar with who you are, do you mind just sharing a little bit about what you do, your background? Yeah, sure. So Mary Ellen McQuaid. My current role is I'm leading the HR function for Novo Nordisk's uh, U.S. sales affiliate. So we've got about 4,300 employees and I lead the HR team there. I also have a global role where for the company across the world, I lead a team of professionals who work on culture, diversity and inclusion and engagement. The company as a whole is about 42,000 employees. I have two jobs currently. And my background really is in HR, but it's very organic. I'm a liberal arts person who kind of somehow made their way into human resources and has been working in the pharma industry, as many people who live in New Jersey do. And that's where I live for the past 15 or 20 years. What do you like about HR? It's complicated. <laughs> that's one thing that I like. People are very unpredictable and more so than making a machine or a widget or doing a formula. You've got to think about problems from a lot of different angles because people's feelings, histories, opinions, motivations come into play. And that's a very complex algorithm. 
and much more so. If I can predict what people are going to do, I'd be out of a job, right? Mm -hmm. So I like that complication part of it. And I also really like the business. So pharmaceuticals is something that I kind of fell into, but I really like the idea of my job. When I go home at night, I think about the people. When the folks I work with go home at night, they're thinking about how do they defeat diabetes? How do they cure cancer? How do they make sure patients are safe? And so I, I like the fact that we're thinking about very complex problems and problems that really impact society as a whole. That's nice to be able to say that you can feel that you're making a contribution as opposed to just having some kind of robotic role, I guess, in the spirit of robotics. I guess, to your point, you don't have to worry about artificial intelligence taking your job. Yeah. I mean, there are places where AI has come into the HR world. So a lot of people are using AI and uh, recruiting, shifting through, res- sifting through resumes and things like that. And of course, chat bots and stuff when you go on your uh, portal to get your questions answered, which is great because then me and my team can work on the more complicated issues that AI hasn't figured out how to solve. Well, it's so interesting. I've got, uh, actually, it was supposed to be tomorrow. We just had to reschedule, but there's uh, an AI HR expert I have uh, lined up and I'm dying to get into all the particulars about what can be done and what can't be because what she was telling me is that you'll never replace a human. The creative side, this will just free up is as good as all the artificial intelligence is. It's just going to, at the end of the day, it's really just going to free up for more of the creative things. And then also just some of the things that you just talked about that you enjoy the most. Right. Exactly. So to give people a better understanding about kind of you as a person, I'd like to kind of shoot some rapid fire questions at you and then dig in, maybe get under the hood a little bit in terms of some of the things that you've done. Sound good? Sure. Bring awesome. it on. All right. <laughs> nice. All right. Tell me the last time that something made you laugh. I have a very robust sense of humor. So I laugh a lot sometimes at myself. So I just had dinner with my kids and they gave me some very honest feedback about the dinner, which always gives me a good laugh. But then I say, thank you so much for the feedback. Uh, yeah. <laughs> what would you make? I made a hoisin chicken, but apparently I did not cut the broccoli small enough. So oh. that was my feedback. for the Man, You got a tough crowd. It's a very tough crowd, but we strive for excellence. So I appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. All right. Okay. High bar at the McQuaid yeah, household. That's right. That's right. <laughs> so let me ask you this. What do you think is just an optimal age in life? I think that's the whatever age you are. I always think five years ago, like, oh God, I can't believe that I was doing this, this, and this. I'm a very big carpe diem person. I'm also like a no regrets person. I mean, my life's pretty good. And hopefully 10 years ago, I thought it was good. And 15 years ago, I thought it was good too. I, I think you got you to gotta really live for what's happening right now. That's fantastic. Someone, God, I'm going to botch this quote, but they said, oh, do you, see, do you prefer to see the glasses half full or half empty? And he says, neither. I like the fact that I can keep refilling it. Ah, that's a good one. <laughs> yeah, I thought so too. And speaking of glass and beverages, how about, I, I like food. And since you were talking about food earlier, tell me about your favorite place to get pizza. Yeah. So I've got two. And so here in my local town, we've got one of these fancy places that does a wood-burning brick oven that's really good. And uh, they are fantastic and do all these funky things where they like put an egg on the pizza. And then I also just like the pizza place I grew up with, the old school pizza. And I drive by there a couple times a year and we try and find a, a reason to stop. 
Oh, that's great. That's a beautiful dude. Now, yeah. do these places have names? So anyone that's listening, oh, yeah. myself yeah, included. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the one locally here in New Jersey is uh, Nomad Pizza. And they've got a couple here and one in Philadelphia. It's really good. And yeah. then uh, Portofino's mm. uh, north of New York City. Well, you yeah. it's, that it's changed, by the way. It's not, it's under oh. new. I don't know in the last time that you were there. But Portofino is now, it was sold a few years ago. So it's still Portofino, but I know I'd hate to do it. It was, it was a real bummer for myself. I got to tell you. So just to forewarn you and the fam next time you go. Yeah. Might be different. Okay. Good to know. Tell me a habit that you have good, bad, or indifferent. I'm a list maker. I really, I was just talking to one of my uh, direct reports about this today. I'm a big list maker. I, it just helps me organize my thoughts. I'm one of these people who's got a lot of things going in many directions. And I just love having this list where I just dump my brain out and it helps me feel relaxed. I'm also uh, a time, I like to do time boxing. I don't know if you've heard about that, but I'll say like, all right, I've got 30 minutes to do this even on the weekend, right? And it kind of drives my family crazy because they're like, well, you really could spend 40 minutes doing the kitchen. I'm like, nah, 30's good. Uh <laughs> But it's just something that kind of helps me focus. And I've done that for years. And it's just a little bit of organization in my life, which I rely on. So are were you like classically trained, like a GTD or a, a RPM? I don't know if you've ever heard of... No, no. It's a Mary Ellen McQuaid. <laughs> Actually, I started doing that stuff in high school and grad school and college just to make sure I was getting through everything I needed to do. God, yeah. I mean, good time management skills. The list significantly help with that big time. Yeah, exactly. Um, awesome. So tell me something that most people don't know about you. That's a good one because I'm pretty much a pretty open book. I have a very strange academic background. I have a, a master's in Latin American studies, which is mm. very strange for someone who's a human resources executive and just a, a very liberal arts background. And then I think people probably don't think of me as being very competitive, but I am actually quite, I'm one of those weird people who's completely unathletic, but competitive. So it's an interesting combination. <laughs> oh, that's good. So if there are any card games going on at the household, you've got to win. Yeah. And no one will play Scrabble with me. Nobody. Oh. <laughs> and I bet you're good. <laughs> yes. And that's why they won't play. <laughs> awesome. All right. I want to now dig in. I want to really understand you're with a very large organization. You've got a significant role. You're wearing a bunch mm -hmm. of hats. Being able to do that, you've, you've got to have a lot of different skill sets. Is there mm -hmm. one particular skill set that you would say is kind of your superpower or your real hardcore area of expertise? I'll talk about two things. One that you wouldn't really think about as a skill set and the other maybe you would. So one of the things that I think and others have told me have really helped in my career is this idea of business acumen. And it sounds pretty simple, like, okay, you understand the business and what's happening, but there's always this trap in HR that you get up and you're giving presentations and you're just going on and on, blah, 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 about talent management and how important it is. And diversity and inclusion and all the things that people know that they quote unquote need to do in HR. But if you don't have really good business acumen and start connecting the dots around why is it important? How is it going to help accelerate their business? And in order to do that, you really have to know the business. That merge, that finding that Venn diagram between the HR disciplines and the HR jargon sometimes and what the business leaders are talking about, that center of that Venn diagram 
is so important and is what I would consider my sweet spot because I'm also a very curious person and I like going to meetings. I mean, this is one of the reasons why I love working in pharmaceuticals. There's these people who are much smarter than me. I have no idea what they're talking about a good portion of the time. And then I like learning from them. And then I think, okay, now how can I help them and how can they learn from me? So that finding that where those two things overlap is really important. My second thing that I've been kind of fine-tuning actually over the past couple of years is this idea of empathy, which, that's you know, what I was gonna, that's what I was going to ask. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's one of these things where I read about it in Satella's book, the CEO of Microsoft, where he talked about empathy and I thought, it's really strange. Why would someone be so emotional? But it's this idea of really understanding where someone's coming from and the idea of really walking in their shoes and I think especially as you get more senior, you can get really caught up in kind of political BS and, you know, this one has a hidden agenda and that one has a hidden agenda. I spend a lot of time thinking about where is this person coming from? What is their perspective on this problem? Why are they thinking about it this way? And that really helps me bring like teams together, bring leaders together, bring my team together. And it's something that Sounds funny to say, but as I've gotten older, I think I've gotten better at, or I've been more patient to say, okay, let me unpack what's really going on here. Instead of being like, why is this person being so aggressive about this? This is annoying. I kind of take a step back and say, what is leading them to this? Why are they here? How did they get here? And so that empathy is something that I've really been working on and I think has become a different sort of asset where leaders call me for advice because they know that that's the way I, I think. Yeah, I feel what I'm hearing from you between the two of those things, it sounds like the intersection of, of both of them is trust. Yes. Yeah. They trust you because you understand their business and then they trust you because you've been able to establish a certain level of rapport whether it's yeah. through the you know listening or you know, the empathy, so that's a great answer. You've been through your company through a decent amount of action, meaning like mergers yep. and acquisitions, right? Yeah. Well, Novo, I've been through just change, and then at prior companies, I've been at I was involved with a very large joint venture that then turned into an acquisition, and that those sorts of like big organizational changes have been kind of the cornerstones of my career. I feel like I'm, I'm doing it uh, very rigorously. Yeah. So can you share what it's like going through one of these mergers from your perspective, the things that you've got to, and you don't need to go in too intricate, but I'd love to hear about the things that you've got to think about from the people standpoint, whether from the benefits, culture, yeah. systems, I mean, there's just so much that, yeah. and especially in your role, you're, I'm assuming you're front and center. Yeah. And it's the intersection of those things becomes very complex, right? And I think what's the hardest part about a merger is most of the people working on it do not want to work on it whatsoever, right? <laughs> this It's one thing when you say like, oh, we're going to launch a new product or we're going to upgrade the offices. People are excited about that. When you say to them like, oh, we've acquired this other company and afterwards, some of you may not have a job and we don't really know what's going on. And for the next six months, we all have to figure out how all the systems, processes, cultures are going to work. And everyone's like, oh, 
really? Mm-hmm. But do I have a job? So there's a very heavy, like emotional overlay to a lot of this work because people are, it's really core to who they are in terms of their own financial security and understanding it. And this idea of kind of core change management, what's in it for me, that's hard to articulate for a merger because you don't know. And so what, what I think is, is the challenge here is they're very complicated, but keeping people motivated and excited through the merger is probably the most challenging because the system and the processes are so intricate. So I'll give you a a good example, a very tactical, but good one where where we're doing this joint venture and we, we had to download the entire HR system basically into an Excel spreadsheet, quality check it, and then move it over to the new HR system. And it was just like, you felt like you were back doing your entry-level job. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And my peer who was leading the group just said something so like really impactful and compelling. She said, every line of data is a person. We have to go through and make sure that they're going to be treated correctly and we're getting all their information over. And I was like, wow, that is such a great nugget, right? So you really have to break down what people are doing and help them understand this is why it's good. Because a lot of times in the broader scheme of things, mergers are their Wall Street actions. They're two companies come together trying to get better shareholder value. It doesn't necessarily speak to the heart of why people come to a company. They're not like, oh, I'm so excited to go to a company that's merging and downsizing. (laughs) You know, that's not, it's not on people's wish lists and dream lists. And so those are very, very heavy. From my perspective, I am a bit of a glutton for punishment where I love that change management and actually figuring out the cultures. So I did this very large joint venture between two pharmaceutical companies and we did some fascinating work where we said, okay, company A is here, company B is there. Where do we want to be as a new company? What's important to us? Is it innovation? Is it standardization? And so we did some great work to get leaders there. And that was super exciting. And being part of that formation was super exciting. But mm. the whole time you're doing that, I had no idea if I had a job either, right? So it's you. sometimes you would go home at night and be like, that was great. But oh my gosh, what's happening? So it's still hard. Yeah. So what would you say is harder? Is it just the integration of all of these moving parts or is it just the mental, like the wear of the unknown and also having to shoulder the thousands of other people's unknown? Yeah, I think it depends on the person. So for me, the work kind of trumped my mental or my own personal, right? Because I kind of said, well, I think this is good work. I'm learning so much I'm willing to kind of compartmentalize that was very hard as the HR person. I literally would have people lining up at my door being like, when am I going to know? Do I have a job? I heard Sally got a job. When am I going to hear? And it was, it got to be very physically, like emotionally draining, but I, I was able to, again, compartmentalize and take that kind of long view perspective. Cause I knew from an HR person, it's good for the HR resume. I knew that. Not that there's other people who they're in quality or they're in accounting and they're like, this is not worth it. I'm still doing the same work and going through this emotional turmoil is not worth it. And you respect that. People have to make the choices that are right for them. 
What would you say to someone who's about to undertake a merger right now? They're in your shoes. They don't have the experience that, but they're about to go through one. What would you suggest that they do? Is there some kind of, you said you're a list maker. Is there a list of things that they should do? Is there a checklist? Is there a go-to person that they should have in their uh, Rolodex? I don't yeah. myself by using that term, but... Um, <laughs> their contacts. Yeah. yeah, I think um, landing on what kind of company they want to, the company wants to be becomes really important. So the culture piece, and of course I'm biased, right? Because I, I spend a lot of time in the culture space, but the culture piece really does not just cast a shadow, but provide a focus point for a lot of the things you want to do, right? So case in point, when we went through this, this idea of innovation was really critical right from the beginning. This company wanted to be more innovative and more kind of digitally focused, et cetera, et cetera. So we had that as a North Star when we were making Mm -hmm. a lot of other choices around processes, around systems. We said, okay, which one is more advanced? Which one allows us more agility? Because we know that that's important. So it's like you need that umbrella before you make a choice because a lot of times you're having to make choices between X and Y. Like, do you keep their benefit plan or do you stay on your benefit plan? Well, what is it that we're trying to achieve? What is it what we want? Okay. Then that helps you make the trade-off because these aren't right or wrong questions, right? These aren't like left or right. These are, well, what's a better fit? And then I think you also have to decide on a very core level how you want employees to feel and how you want employees to be treated during that time. And it sounds very basic, but it's this idea of, are you just going to ask employees to like grin and bear it the whole time? Or are you going to spend some time kind of nurturing and taking care of people? And again, that's not a right or wrong. It's just a choice that you should make early on because leaders will vacillate around that. And it's very hard for leaders of large organizations during that time. And then what about, what kind of message are you communicating to these organizations while this is transpiring? Yeah. And, and that goes back to this idea of like, what kind of culture are you trying to create? And then how do you want people to feel? If you want people to stay and you want them to be excited and you want them to be energized, you have to think about going through like an entire internal PR campaign and saying, this is what we're going to do. This is going to be great. Even though some people might lose jobs. But I have also been in acquisitions where we know that actually we're not going to retain a lot of the employees. And you don't want to do that, right? You don't want to get them excited. You want to be more candid about it and say, look, we're, we bought this company for its assets and we're probably going to close this site. I mean, I've been through something like that, which is a little bit more direct, but at least we felt like we were very genuine and authentic with what we were trying to create. And I think even our leaders at the time appreciated that, right? Because they don't want to go in there and blow smoke and be like, oh yeah, we're the best thing. And six months later, lay everybody off. They, I think being authentic is important. How important to success is your ability to develop that rapport with not just your leaders, but all the different, I guess, business heads or whomever else it is that you're interacting with, whether it be yeah. on a daily basis or just in general? Yeah, it's, it's an interesting question because I was thinking about this today, uh, just giving, I was doing a coaching session with someone who reports to me and we're both very heavily, not very heavily, but we're both introverts. And right now I've got, I'm responsible for an employee base of 4,300 people. And then once or twice a year, we bring about 3,000 people together for a big sales meeting. 
and myself and the president of the company, we walk around these meetings and you're just like shaking hands, hugging people, which in the time of coronavirus is a terrible thing to think about. But it is that looking at someone in the eye and saying, thanks so much for all you're doing. How is your business going? I really appreciate what you do. Just showing people genuinely that you care about them and you're interested is super important. But as an introvert, it's also really hard. It's draining. It's draining. I love the plane ride back from these meetings because I get some downtime. But I also know that that's part of my role because then the next time, so for example, during uh, the COVID-19 crisis, I've had a lot of these people call me or send me emails and say, hey, Mary Ellen, this is what's going on in my community. And that helps me shape policy and the way we're approaching these things. If I don't Mm -hmm. have that connection with those employees and those leaders, I'm trying to do the right thing for the organization, but I need that ear to the ground. So Mm -hmm. building that rapport is super important. And I do it all sorts of ways, personal. And sometimes I actually go out with sales reps and things like that. Of course, they hate that because (laughs) no one wants to be with the head of HR, right? Like, oh, you're in trouble. The head of HR is coming. (laughs) But it is a good way to really understand, like, again, the empathy thing, right? To walk in the shoes of some of our employees so that when I decide, all right, should we have pet insurance or should we not? Should we have adoption benefits or not, I have to make some sort of informed choices. So I need to know what leaders and employees are thinking. That's so great. And it's nice to hear that you do that. So I actually have a a client of mine is a major, I'm not going to say who they are, but it's a massive organization and and they go through these kinds of things. I don't want to say all the time, but not, but fairly often. So what they've asked me to do, I come in and and I go and I train some of their leaders on how to build some of these relationships with the, like you said, the boots on the ground for those exact reasons that you just talked about. It's so important to be able to get the, to find out the true, what's really going on and to be able to get the scoop and to, and also if you want to kind of get a message out there, as opposed to just sending out an email, it's much better to, to have that message being passed around through the organization, you know, through as long as the, the game of telephone isn't played, but to, to pass it through that way. So it's really nice to hear. I, I don't know of many people in your role that do what you're doing. Yeah. My team, my HR team thinks maybe sometimes I do it too much because huh. <laughs> it gets me in trouble sometimes too. Cause I'll be like, well, I had a meeting with Jane in Ohio and she said, and they're like, oh my gosh, here she goes. <laughs> uh, so you have to balance it too, right? Because you get an end of one in some of these visits. But it is good to have this network and the sounding board. And I actually encourage my team to do the same. Like, who are you calling to check in with? Because we also have a very geographically dispersed organization. And that makes it harder. I can't just walk the halls and check in with people. I only have about a, a fourth of the organization that's co-located. Wow. And, and how large is your team? So I have a team of about 70 people. Oh my God. Oh, that's a significant yeah, and team. Then, yeah. And then globally, I have another 20. The global team is 20 and the US team is about 70. Oh yeah. man, that's a significant. How do you get the time to do one of these like drive-bys or these, you know, lunch and learns or whatever it is that you're doing with the business? Yeah. Yeah. So I try and do it once or twice. When I first got into role, I did it once a quarter. I got out and I saw, I tried to do one with all the major jobs that we have. Like what's the day in the life of this role? What's a day in the life of this role? 
And now I get out maybe once or twice a year and I'll pair it with something else. Like, okay, I'm going to a conference. I want to you know, tag along to this. It's also, it's got to suit your personality, right? So I'm, I'm introverted. I'm, I'm not someone who, who comes with a lot of pomp and circumstance. So I really just say, hey, I'm pretty much going to be your shadow for the day. Just forget my title. I just want to understand what your day is like. Idea was that. I think that's a great idea. And then do you have other people, part of your 70 or 90 person staff that you encourage to do uh, similar things? Yeah. Well, I have a team that does the training. So they're out there training these guys all the time anyway, especially my business partners, the HR business partners. I ask them to go do that. And then a lot of my team, I really try and get them to think about how do they tie into the business and everyone can sit through a presentation in a town hall and listen to our CEO. But I try and tell them like once a year, go do something where you really get in deep, go tour one of the R&D labs to really understand what they're doing there. Because it's a complex business. And we have to know in HR, I always feel like you have to know just a little bit about everything going on. Mm. uh, So you can make informed decisions. Yeah, that's excellent advice. In the spirit of advice, what was some of the, or if there is one nugget of advice that someone shared with you? I have a lot of good ones, but... All right, let's not yeah. limit it to one. You know, good, good, good. <laughs> and there's, yeah, I think in the HR kind of spectrum or discipline, there's a lot of things that you can go after, right? And there's a lot of things you can think about. You can think about team effectiveness. You can think about how you move people around for their own careers, and I am a person who's an ideator, right? Which is why I have my lists. I have a lot of things that, that come into my mind. And I had a boss who once told me, never care more than the business cares. You can try and influence them to think about team effectiveness. But if you can't get a leader there, at some point you have to say, okay, this is not on the top of this person's agenda. Let me figure out what's on their agenda in the HR space rather than trying to project it. So it's this idea of like, don't push the rock uphill. Think about how you get more into the slipstream, if you will. And this goes back to that business acumen piece, right, of thinking about how you can add to their business as opposed to giving them another thing to do. You don't want to see that person in the hallway who is always giving you work, right? You want to see that person in the hallway who's helping you do your work. Mm. And so it's never care more than they do. That's a good one. I like that. I want to throw a quote at you and I'd, I'd love to get your perspective. Like, What does it mean to you? Okay, you ready? Mm-hmm. The measure of intelligence is the ability to change. Yeah, that's an interesting one. I'm someone who's very, I really like change. And when you think about that quote, it's also this idea of change means you're open to new ideas and trying something new. And I think there's something around the idea of not getting stuck in the rut, but trying something and learning something. Because when you try something new, you inevitably learn something new, right? And that's how you build that muscle. I 100% agree with that. Except for the pizza dough. Once you've mastered the pizza dough, please do not change it. <laughs> yes. Ain't that the truth? Yeah. <laughs> yes, I, I completely agree. All right, I'm going to throw one more quote at you. And then, and then I'm going to let you go and have dessert for the night now that you've eaten your dinner. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if you can adapt, change becomes threats instead of opportunities. If you can adapt or you can't? If you can't. If I said can, I apologize. 
so that's very meaningful to me. And I think we've probably all read the case studies in Harvard Business Review around like the Nokia's of the world, right? Mm-hmm. And this is probably the mm-hmm. biggest challenge that businesses have and leaders have and HR has is what's coming next. Mm-hmm. And you know, now it's like gig economy and remote working and can we all adapt and what do you have to let go of in order to adapt that? Or can you keep some of the things you've had? And I think when I unpack that a little bit, it's about risk too. There's a certain comfort level in how things are working. So deducing to adapt is hard. It's harder than doing the way things you've always done. But then you end up like Nokia. Yeah, or Kodak. or um, Yeah, that's the other classic one, yeah. Yeah, and I'm sure there's going to be ones on Blockbuster too. You know? Yeah, that's right. That's coming. That's coming. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, yeah it's, it's coming down the pike. Wow. Well, Mary Ellen, this has been awesome. Extremely insightful. So much to, like you said, unpack here. Clearly, there's a, a lot on your plate. I think that there's a lot that people can take from this. Is there one maybe morsel that you'd like to leave with in terms of maybe someone's going to be doing a similar role that you are, that you are in. And if you could go back prior to taking the role that you're in today, was there anything that you would have done differently or any advice that you would have, you'd share with yourself now? I think in the current role, what I always think about is what's the thumbprint that I want to have. And anytime you go into a new role, you're kind of not thinking about the thumbprint because you usually have a fire hose pointed at you. <laughs> so I I would say take the first 90 days to assess and then start to think about the thumbprint and then really pull on that business acumen muscle to make sure that thumbprint is something where people say, hey, HR is accelerating business performance. That's always my goal. How do I accelerate business performance Ooh. from my seat? Oh, I like that. This has been great. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah. You're so welcome. It was great to talk with you. Cheers. Many thanks for listening to Who's Who in HR. If you're looking to connect with more top-level HR professionals, be sure to log on to networkwise.com to find out how you could be part of an HR mastermind group. Also, subscribe to our newsletter to stay up to date on everything happening with NetworkWise. In the interim, make it a great day and remember to always NetworkWise. Network Wise.